live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho. Duro, Parlay, Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Boy, do I have a great bomb to drop on all y'all. Oh, my gosh. No, I'm kidding. You know, I know we're going to kind of segue just a hair because of everything that's been going on in AEW. And I know this is the Entertainment Edition. We're going to talk movies, TV, comics. But we have got so much pro wrestling news coming in that I think we are doing an additional 607 TWS this week. It's one of those rare instances in, you know, the 607 podcast history where we put out because like it happens sometimes where like we put out a show and then something happens or like, you know, it was something we talked about. There's a development and the information we gave in the show is almost immediately, uh, you know, useless. Mm -hmm. I remember there was one we did a sports we were breaking on NBA free agency, some of the big moves and this and that. And then DeMarcus Cousins decided to sign with Golden State. And we were like fuck yeah you know but it, it almost immediately which is with the situation regarding you know aew and pro wrestling 607 tws some of the information almost immediately outdated i know it's wild to think about so that's a little special programming note that make sure you're following all the 607 podcasts on social media to find out if we're going to be doing a live reaction to the aew fallout from all out did not mean for that to rhyme, but oh my gosh. Hey. There's a lot of drama coming there, so definitely we will be talking about that. After this podcast, though, because you have tuned into the Entertainment Edition, there's a lot to go over in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more, so we definitely want to interact with you. So simply swing on over to odphpodcast.com, join in the conversation on the social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page with the Public link, with the Patreon link. Shout out to Tyler from 30 and Nerdy, the latest patron to join the Parlay Club. hey Tell you, that thing is making some moves, so I did post in there about a little bonus content that might be coming, dot, dot, dot. So if you want to find out about that, you simply click on that link, one tier, $2 a month, and a lot of stuff coming from the ODPH panel. But while you're there, too, if it's music, if it's parlay points, blogs, recommendation, classified section, which you can find friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, the directory, anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media, use the hashtag ODPHpod. That being said, let's kick off the Entertainment Edition recapping a very interesting episode from Marvel Studios on Disney+. Plus, Very polarizing. Very polarizing indeed. And this show definitely is causing a reaction one way or the other, which I will say this. If you're not a fan of this show and you're having some toxic takes, I'm not talking with you. I'm not addressing it because it's nonsense. Because we here at the panel are very big fans of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. Hell yeah. It's a very different show than we've seen thus far from the MCU. Tatiana Maslany is absolutely crushing the role of Jennifer Walters. And if you haven't read the comics, you're probably not going to like the show. But since I've read them, this is definitely tapping into some great runs from John Byrne and Dan Slott, to just name a few. This is really something fresh and new for the MCU. The show has definitely been winning fans over because there is more positive comments coming out than negative. Mm-hmm. 
And this episode three that we're going to be recapping here had a lot of buzz behind it because there was leaked about the bonus scene at the end. Yep. Now, I guess we'll just say the spoiler-free statement right now, it did not break the internet in the way it was, I guess, planned on doing. Well, it, it certainly broke the internet, but not in the way, you know, everyone thought it would. Yeah, because... It broke it for a different reason. It broke it for a different reason, and I will say this. If you enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy 1, then you have no ground to stand on, in mm-hmm. my opinion, for complaining about that bonus scene. So, that said, let's give that f- spoiler-free statement to Episode 3 of She-Hulk, entitled The People versus Emil Blonsky. After the countdown, though... Because we do give you fair warning. We do talk spoilers about the episodes. So if you haven't seen the episode yet, you need to pause this podcast and jump in. Go right ahead and do that. We give you the timestamps in the episode because we don't want to ruin anything for anybody. But we do give you a spoiler-free statement to kind of give you the temp in the room. And then we go full blast spoilers after that. So, Pad, that said, spoiler-free statement about episode three. I thought it was a fun episode. I dug kind of like the, you know, uh, courtroom portions of it. You know, thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm excited to see where it goes. It was fun. And I'm not mad about it. I thought the cameo that was in it worked. Made sense. It made sense. For the, considering the story. Yeah, was not mad about it at all. Thought it worked on many levels. And interested to see where we're going from here because you're trying to figure out now the timeline everything's set in. Because there is a couple things that happen in this mm-hmm. one that you now have to kind of piece together. Okay, this happened here, this happened there, but, you know, bada bing, bada boom. But fun episode, definitely worth the watch. All right, that said, spoiler free time in three, or spoiler time in three, two, one. Pad, talk to me. Thought it was, Like I said, thought it was a fun episode. It was interesting to see kind of like the dynamic of where Emil Blonsky is, you know, at this point in time. The, the courtroom, quote unquote, scenes were awesome. You know, and I thought and I thought it was a lot of fun. This plays right into the She-Hulk comic, so I was not upset by this. And so and tell me you haven't read the She-Hulk comic without telling me you haven't read the She-Hulk comic. Exactly. And the one thing, too, is if you're expecting some long, dramatic, drawn-out saga over six episodes, a la Falcon and Winter Soldier, a la Moon Knight, even Hawkeye to a degree, this is not going to be that show. No. This show has a totally different vibe to it. It definitely stands on its own. And, like, this, I, I want to say, it is more of a lighthearted, I, I don't want to say, like, rom-com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to a degree. It's not like, it's, it's not like a, it's not like a uh, sitcom, you know, like you would see on, like, ABC on Friday night in the 90s. Yeah, it's it definitely has that kind of vibe. It's not, it's not a Boy Meets, you know, it's not a super serious one. It's kind of more like a Full House Boy Meets World kind of thing. Yeah, like I say, you know, I kind of relate it to almost a little bit like in Friends. Sure. It's like to a degree. Like, sure. That's that's the vibe I get from this. And I'm not mad about this. Like, well, and the thing, too, is I think a lot of people were going into this, you know, once it was teased and then confirmed Deadpool is going to be in this. Oh, Deadpool is going to be in this. It's going to be super serious. Sorry, you're playing with the wrong deck of cards. If you're going into She-Hulk, mm. who's known for breaking the fourth wall, who's known for being a little different. You know, and I don't mean that in any sort of negative way, just in terms of your what you think of a typical superhero. She's she doesn't she marches to the beat of her own drum. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go if you went into this show expecting it to be super serious like the Netflix Daredevil show, boy did you read the room wrong. Exactly. And like I say, I think rom com is the wrong wording. So I'll say that. But I always kind of treat rom coms like with that kind of lighthearted yeah, style. Yeah. So that's where I'm going with that. But this show has just been fun. 
And you know what? They keep playing into that. And that's the strength of this show. That not everything needs to be earth-shattering, universe-breaking. It can just be 30 minutes of just fun and enjoyment. Because it's very captivating by Tatiana Maslany's Mm -hmm. performance. Because she wins you over as She-Hulk, a.k.a. Jennifer Walters. And where you jump in here, obviously, the past episodes, you're now seeing her come to terms with her being a superhero. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whether she wants to be one or not. She obviously got let go from her first job working in the DA's office. Yep. She was hired for the law firm of Goodman, Lieber, Kruitz, and Holloway. Yep. And now she is the head of their superhero or superpower division. Mm-hmm. So she's handling law cases. Her first client is Emil Blonsky, a.k.a. The Abomination, played by Tim Roth, who, oh, my God. How good was he in this so episode? So good. Oh, you like you forget about that because obviously, if you've seen a lot of people don't like that movie and choose to not rewatch it. Yeah, The Incredible Hulk with uh, Ed Norton as Bruce Banner. A lot of people just skip past, and rightfully so. Like it's it's expectations. I thought it was okay. I'm not in love with the movie, but I thought it was okay. But a lot of people didn't like it, and that's fair. I'm not gonna argue with it about that. But Roth's performance here, he kind of just really dives into the cheesiness of it, mm-hmm. and it works because now. There's video footage of him escaping his prison because he's trying to get parole for what he's done because he had a really plausible case of the government made me do it. Mm-hmm. And it's a unique alibi to you know excuse him for his crime. So like I love how they're playing into that. But this is where the episode jumps in because Jennifer Walters has now seen what happens, goes to Blonsky in jail and says, okay. What the fuck? What are you doing? Like, I'm working on a case to get you released, and now you're taking off to go fight in an uh, underground fight club. And he's like, well, I kind of did, and I kind of didn't, yeah. uh, because I, I mean, it's not like I wanted to go, but I, I kind of had to, because somebody showed up and took me. Kind of kind of sprung me, if yeah. you will. And who was that, Pad? Uh, that would be the Sorcerer Supreme, Wong. Yes, Benedict Wong reprising his role as the Sorcerer Supreme, and uh, this was perfect. Mm-hmm. Like I loved the interaction he had with the with the characters during this episode, because he basically says, "Yeah, I took the Abomination out because I'm trying to train, and I needed basically a fight partner." Yeah, and but he's like, "I returned willingly after." Like, and that's Abomination's thing. Is like, "Yeah, I came back willingly." Let's say, and if if memory serves, in the episode Abomination, you know, Emil Blonsky made it a point to tell the Wong, because like he could have just easily stayed at Karamatash. You know, I, th- yeah. I think even Wong is just like, hey, I gave him the offer to stay at Karamatash, but he insisted to come back to his cell to fill, uh, fill out his uh, sentence. Yes. So now she's on her mission to track Wong down. And like I said, we might have jumped the gun a little bit because like Wong is explaining what's going on, but dealing with the legal system and the yeah. mystic system yeah. is Two very different worlds. Well, and even just trying to track this guy down is a little hard because you can't exactly pull out, you know, the phone book, look him up, and then, you know, call him up and say, hey, uh, you got a minute to stop by down by the law offices? Oh, okay, you're going to stop down on your lunch? Yeah, sure, thanks. You know, he's the Sorcerer Supreme. He can travel between dimensions. You know, he can fly. You know, he can control magic. You know, so I think, and I love the one scene where they're trying to track him down and then, you know, Jennifer Walters paralegal or her assistant is like, oh, so Jennifer's like, oh, so you're in charge of like trying to track down Wong, you know, right? She's like, oh, no, yeah, I'm on it. I'm luring him in with books. Yeah, like it's absolutely crazy to see. But 
It's interesting to see how Jennifer Walters tracks him down via LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Which, I, you know what? I believe. Like, well, well, and it's funny. I have to dig it up. But the actress who plays the paralegal Walters assistant did tweet out the photo that, that I guess they used for the episode. Like, I don't think it actually made it into the, into the show. But if it did, it was for like a blank. She actually did tweet out the photo they used with, with her kind of like laying in a pose. You might see on like a dating website with like all these books piled around her. And the actor Wong actually did respond to it with like you know a, su- a surprised like happy emoji or something like that. Yeah, Ginger Gonzalez, who's playing Nikki, her assistant, is absolutely doing a fantastic job too. Definitely have to plug her as well. So they wind up you know somehow connecting to Wong and basically saying, "Okay, we need you to explain what's going on." And he's like, "Yeah, I'll go testify and I'll explain myself to the parole board." Meanwhile, there's a side story that's going on. That's just fun. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I know we use that a lot this segment. And, like, honestly, that's the easiest way to describe it. Like, I'm not going to think of any kind of fancier word to say it. Because the side story is going on is that her former partner mm-hmm. at the law firm she was at, Dennis, mm-hmm. um, comes to her for some assistance because he's trying to <laughs> claim that he was defrauded, defrauded by Runa. Mm-hmm. Who is a shapeshifter from New Asgard? Think Loki, but like it with even less morals. Mm-hmm. And Pad, who was Runa trying to portray? Uh, that would be recording artist Megan the Stallion. Yes. So he's now trying to sue an Asgardian elf. Yeah. For. Uh, misled yeah, information. And, like, and I forget the exact number, but I want to say it was because like they even asked like how much money did you spend on her? And, and they go it was like 250,000 or something. No, like that. no, it was like, it was like between a hundred, it was like 150 or 175,000. Cause they're like, cause he didn't want to say, Oh, that's right. He didn't want to say, and they're like, all right, we'll just start naming numbers and you tell us when we've got it right. You know, and they start high and he goes lower, you know, and then they kind of, they, the, you know, they play the whole, you know, prices, right game, higher, lower. And then they they're like you spent oh, you know whatever it was on Megan the St- on on this. I said, hey, I thought it was Megan the Stallion. Yeah, and Jennifer Walters is just laughing hysterically. She's like, you really thought you hook you 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 could have hooked up with Megan the Stallion, mm-hmm. and she is laughing hysterically. It, it, it's such a good scene. Too. Oh, it is. Like it's just because. Obviously, when you first meet Dennis in episode one, he, he's a complete jerk. Oh, yeah. So to see the tables turn here, I was fully loving this. I was like, this is perfect. And Maslani is just leaning into like, you? No way you could have landed Megan the Stallion as a girlfriend. Oh, yeah. No way. No way. Right. So that is going on on the side. But we go back to the main point of this episode, and that is in front of the parole board, where you're seeing... Emil Blonsky is talking to them. Uh, he has got a few... Girlfriend? Call it what it is. He has a cult. Yeah, he has a cult. He has a cult. <laughs> I mean, that's the easiest way to describe it. They're all waiting for him to get out. They're all dressed the same. You know, they, 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 they're all in love with him. They even f- want to flash him at one point. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's just a funny scene. Yeah. And Jennifer Walters is like, okay, you know, like, I'll, I'll get this to be explained. Wong makes a dramatic entrance through a portal. Yeah. Like, like I think even at one point the parole board is like, okay, you want to do this, this, you know, venture when that's supposed to help society when you get out of here. How are you going to do this? Like, given your status and, and, you know, your abilities and just your track record, nobody's going to want to hire you. And he's like, well, don't worry. I'm going to lean on the financial benefits of, of my uh, adoring crowd. Yeah. So it is quite the funny scene going on. Like, I have to say that. Oh, yeah. 
Like, and you just see the Wong is explaining that, yes, well, as the Sorcerer Supreme, I need to challenge myself. I need to push myself to limits. I needed to find, you know, a fighter for Kumatai. Mm-hmm. And the, the reaction from the parole board is just priceless. It's absolutely priceless. They're so out of their element. Yeah, because he's just like, what do you mean I can't do what I can? I'm the Sorcerer Supreme. I don't need to answer this. this isn't well, the- yeah, and even even when, earlier in the episode where, like, he finally, Wong finally shows up and, and Jennifer starts talking to him. And he's like, yeah, here's what it is. A, B, C, and bye. And she's like, no, that's not how this works. That's not how the law works. Yeah. But it turns out to work in her favor because the parole board does release Blonsky, who is now forbidden to transform into the abomination. Well, and this is after he tries to show them, hey, I'm not the same guy I was before. Look, I can control and I'm in control and I'm in control of myself. I'm not a raging monster. And meanwhile, everyone's freaking the hell out. You know, the uh, security comes running in with guns pointed at him, ready to take him out right then and there. Mm -hmm. So it is an interesting scene to play out because I think that while we may or may not see the abomination the rest of this series, we're definitely not done seeing Tim Roth in the MCU. No. I would say safe money is he will be a part of the Thunderbolts team when that's finally assembled i wouldn't be surprised if that's like a bonus scene at the end of the uh series yeah i could definitely see them doing that we will probably get more word about that going into this weekend because obviously d23 is happening this weekend so right definitely stay tuned for that on social media but for the remainder of this episode we do go back to the uh case of dennis versus runa Mm -hmm. which the dennis uh was being defended by a partner now mm-hmm. of She-Hulk. So the case was passed on to Pug. Yep. So we're seeing, obviously, him working with Jennifer Walters to win the case, prove yep. the point that, yep. you know, he was misled. Yep. The elf is now arrested. Well, this is after she impersonates a, uh, the, the judge. judge and gets in even more trouble. Yeah, so she's completely out of control here, and it's obviously coming down to dealing with Asgardian law versus legal law, which it's fun seeing the different... Fan, like I don't want to say mm-hmm. fandoms, but like the different myths in the MCU, I oh, should yeah. say, yeah, more so. But like you're seeing, like obviously how the Asgardians handle business right. is different than how trial by combat, yeah, the mere mortals handle it. But it's definitely a fun scene to see go on here. So Jennifer Walters is right in an extreme high, and does finally get talked into by her assistant Nikki to do a tell-all interview mm-hmm. because basically she's saying, listen, no matter how much you want to try hiding that you're She-Hulk. The world knows who you are. Well, and the thing, too, is like everything that like the social media and the news and, and magazines and all that have been saying about her and re- like writing about her. She doesn't like she doesn't like the name She-Hulk. She doesn't like the You know, some of the stuff that's been portrayed about her, which I, I understand. But at the same token, you kind of got to, you know, grab the bull by the horns a little bit on that one. You know, you have this happen. You got exposed to the world and then you went radio silent. So mm-hmm. people kind of just came to their own conclusions. They're like, well, she's green like the Hulk. She-Hulk. If you wanted a different name, you should have said something. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's kind of an interesting play that they do. But it makes sense, obviously, that she wants to take control of her own narrative. So she goes on, starts talking, and is really trying to win over the, the general public, mm-hmm. who is now starting to warm up a little bit more to yeah. her. But where this episode closes on a very interesting note... And one for longtime comic readers of the Marvel Comics universe, you do see an introduction of a certain team. Mm-hmm. Because as she's going to her car after the interview, 
she does get attacked by four construction workers. Uh, with Asgardian uh, equipment. Yes. So, Pad, do you know who this crew is? Nope. So this is the Wrecking Crew. Hmm. And this is a long-time Avengers villain group. So, obviously, they're given powers of Asgardians, and they basically... I hate saying that, like, in wrestling terms, they're jobbers. Sure. But pretty much they are. I mean, that's the easiest way to put it. Well, you need, you need those guys. You know, you can't exactly have their Galactuses, you know, and then the Doctor Doom show up every issue. you got to have some uh, lesser guys to kind of fill in the holes. Yeah, so obviously they're the ones that really kind of step in between, and, you know, they've dealt with the Avengers over the years, and, and that's who they're most synonymous with. And obviously you can go through the different members. Like with Thor, they deal a lot with, obviously, as Guardian-powered and such. And obviously they do have a connection to Baron Zemo and the Masters of Evil as well. How that's all going to play out for future reference, unsure at this point. Okay. They, 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 the name rang a bell once you said it. They did appear in uh, some of the more recent Marvel animated stuff. Yeah. I and, mean, and now that I'm seeing a photo, I do recognize the, the, the character name now. Okay. Yeah. So you do see the live action version of this. And obviously the, they're the bumbling fools that are trying to take out She-Hulk which Jennifer Walters completely wipes the floor with them. Yeah, they, they even try stealing a sample of her blood, but yet, because she's the Hulk, you know, the needle doesn't pierce through. Yes. So that is something that will be a plot moving forward, but that's how the episode ends. Mm-hmm. Then we get to the big bonus scene. The bonus scene that broke the internet. Yes, which it turns out Megan the Stallion is very impressed with Jennifer Walters and signs to be, or has her now as, as, her, her, lawyer. as her lawyer. And there's a twerking scene. Mm-hmm. Which people were losing their minds about. I'll say if you if you enjoy, like you said if you enjoyed the Guardians of the Galaxy one, you got no leg to stand on. I would also say if this were Deadpool and you would have been okay with it, shut your damn mouth. Exactly, like the fact that people were losing their minds and and like how dare the MCU do this? I'm not saying if you it, no, I'm not saying you can't like it. If you don't like it, that's fine. Sure. But if you're going to sit there and say, this is cringe, this is the worst thing Marvel's ever done. Stan Lee is rolling in his grave. Please tell me you haven't read a She-Hulk comic without telling me you, you haven't read a She-Hulk comic. Exactly. Like it was meant to be fun. And it, if you were laughing about Chris Pratt doing it in Guardians of the Galaxy 1, then you have no grounds to be hating on this. Period. It was a fun scene, and, yeah. uh, and you know what? It played into Jennifer Walters' character, because uh, Tatiana Maslany, I believe, is a very big Megan Thee Stallion oh, fan. Oh, she is. Oh, she is. Yeah, she, in real life. So. And even the director of the episode, you know, because I saw like a behind-the-scenes feature thing about this, the director of the episode, who was, I believe, Kat Coiro, uh, I mm-hmm. believe is how you say the name? Yes. Uh, you know, she was even, so like, how yeah, the writer came up to her and was like, yeah, we're writing a bonus scene for this episode. But I can't tell you what it is because if you if we do, you'll lose all function to work. You're not going to want to work. You're just going to lose your mind. Yeah. So the director is a big fan of Megan Thee Stallion. Tatiana Maslany is a huge fan of Megan Thee Stallion. So it just made all the sense in the world. Yeah, it was just a fun scene too, and especially how she ends. She's like, "I will kill for you," and Megan's like, "Hold on, yo, tone it down a little bit, <laughs> back it down." Yeah. But that's how it ends. But it's it's a fun ending, and that's the point about this episode in, in closing with it. You're supposed to just pause from the seriousness of the normal MCU. Enjoy this for what it was. You had a fun court case. You had a fun legal battle to get the abomination freed. You now have an underlying theme of somebody's trying to steal the Mm -hmm. blood of Mm She-Hulk. Not sure exactly who that could be. Well, and I think it's coming off of the tell-all interview, which I don't think we saw all of it, because why would we? Mm -hmm. we, We've seen what's happened. 
but it, it kind of makes sense given the fact that it takes place after the tell-all interview that like hey you know she had this accident and some of her cousin's blood got into hers and turned her into this that could be really handy for our nefarious purposes yeah so it's interesting to see how this is going to move forward and i i don't know who would necessarily be a villain to take it i mean obviously it's still wide open and could yeah. be aim i was thinking aim yeah. yeah it could be that it could be justin hammer i mean there's well, i haven't seen him in a while right but that's where you're kind of opening the door for who could be involved with this a long shot would be Wilson Fisk. I just want to put that out oh, yeah, right now. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Because I was hearing some people saying, well, obviously we know Daredevil's on the way. Yeah, no. And people are like, oh, well, it's, it's got to be that if Daredevil's yeah. going to be involved. No, it's it's not. Except I am kind of curious about one thing, though. Yeah. With the Daredevil. Yeah. Daredevil's based in New York for the most part. This is true. She-Hulk is based in L.A. Something's going to call her out there. Super, well, because you got to remember she's or vice the, versa. Well, yeah, the, the vice versa, because you got to remember she is the head of, you know, this law firm's superhuman division, mm-hmm. you know, so either she's going to get called out to New York because <laughs> New York is the hub for all things superhero in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Uh, case in point, look at the comics. It's facts. You know, either so either something's going to call Daredevil out there or she's going to get called to New York. Yeah. And you know what? I'd like to see how it plays out because I think that would make a lot of sense. Interesting to see where we're going to go with this, but at least now you're going to have a little more superhero aspect going on. That somebody's trying to steal the blood to do something with it. Who knows? It could be the people behind Thunderbolts. We don't know. That could be. Yeah, that's another possibility. I was kind of running with. I mean, that's but that's the fun thing about this show. How many times can I say fun in this segment? Because honestly, that's what this episode was. Take a shot for every time he does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, just. But be responsible while you're doing it, too. We have to say that. Final thoughts on this episode, Pad? Thought it was a lot of fun. You know, enjoyed the bo- enjoyed the bonus <laughs> You said scene. it, too. I did. You know, enjoyed the bonus scene. You know, and, and I like the mystery and intrigue surrounding this episode, with especially, like, who's stealing the blood and this and that. So I'm, I'm interested to see uh, where things develop. I'm right there with you. Very enjoyable episode. There's a lot to be happy with it. Because it's something different, and this is something that I've been screaming the MCU needs to do for a while. Where we're going from here, though, that's kind of the big question. Because if we're going to be doing one-and-dones, as this appears it might be a trend moving forward, I don't know who the underlying theme is going to be trying to steal the blood. But there is a lot of suspects, so definitely hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Episode 3 of She-Hulk, entitled The People vs. Emil Blonsky? And who do you think is trying to steal the blood of She-Hulk? You know, there's a lot of theories we gave you. Long shot is Wilson Fisk, Justin Hammer. Mephisto. Aim. Mephisto is out there. You know, Dark Side. No, no, I'll just throw that. <laughs> just see the reaction of some people. But definitely hit us up. Let's talk about the episode. There's a lot to discuss. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Why can't he put you in the shark? Because you can't grapple a ghost. <laughs> Fucking obviously. You can't, he's a ghost. You can't. Grapple a ghost. <laughs> I mean, of course I can't. There's already a dead body involved. Exactly. Hey, fool. Sometimes when you do some crime, people die, and it's okay. We're the Broken Lords. We provide the finest actual play RPG-related nonsense this side of the internet. Follow us on Twitter at Lords Broken, and give us a listen on any major podcasting platform. Time for another segment of this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and we have to recap the surprise hit on HBO Max. House of the Dragon is not showing any signs of slowing down. No. The Game of Thrones spinoff is definitely capturing a ton of viewers on the streaming platform, which has to be a big win for Warner Brothers, who is distributing it. Well, even even the ratings numbers that are coming out are strictly television. Mm. You know, so the 20 million episode one was strictly television. That's not counting 
uh, HBO Max. Yeah. You know, and then episode two was 10 million television because it's also airing on HBO. You know, so that if you got to you got to figure that, you know, once you factor in, you know, because and that's the thing with the, the streaming numbers, it's it's not going to factor in profiles. It's just going to factor in accounts mm-hmm. that, that watch it. You got to figure you factor in the streaming the streaming platform numbers. That's going to give you maybe another 10, 15 million uh, viewers. And I'm being conservative with that number. Well, that's what they need right now is obviously with the show, it's generating that buzz that we haven't seen since the early stages of the last season of Game of Thrones. Yeah, and, and especially during the heyday. Yeah. yeah, so you have to put that in perspective. To see it doing as well as it is is a real testament to the writing on the show. And and it's really groundbreaking for television just in terms of how popular it is and how much, you know, traction it's gaining online. Because, yeah, there have been, you know, stuff on television that's popular. I know This Is Us comes to mind, how popular that is. But, like, this is on a whole different level where it's not just capturing you know, one demographic or one age group or what have you, you know, this is just kind of like everybody is, is watching. I mean, I go back to that video that was posted on YouTube and on all of our social media of the apartment building in New York, where like half of the building, half of the apartments in the building are watching it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I say. Like it's capturing everybody. Again, the writing is definitely being something to watch except for one part, which we talked about last week. And I'm still standing on my soapbox about that. Don't want to see that shit on here. Not a fan. But I am a fan of everything else they're doing, and this episode really had a lot of great energy behind it. So let's get into spoiler-free statement time. Pad, let's talk about that third episode of House of the Dragon. Thought it was all right. A little slow, a little bit of a slow burn for this one. But that, I mean, that's to be expected. Not every, every episode's going to be, you know, out the gate, dragons flying, fire breathing everywhere, limbs getting chopped off. There's going to be some of that political intrigue. There's going to be some of that, you know... Uh, I guess you could say, you know, council room discussions, you know. But overall, I thought it was a good episode. To me, this felt the most like a Game of Thrones episode that I've seen in a long time. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of stuff that was going on with the political talk that you talk about. Because obviously that's what Game of Thrones is. It's it's basically House of Cards medieval style. It's an interesting play to see where things were getting set up here. But what I feel they were really capturing about the Game of Thrones vibe is we finally had a big battle. And we finally got to see Matt Smith's Prince Damon cut loose. Mm-hmm. And he has been the saving grace of this show. I want to see him on more than I do some of the other characters because yeah. I'm getting to the stage now, and I know it's three episodes in, but I don't know if this is good or bad or indifferent. I'm getting to the point where like, I don't want to see certain characters anymore because I don't think they're doing anything, just wasting time on screen. And I'd rather see somebody that's going to do something and, and make something happen. And like with Matt Smith's character, I think we have that. I think, though, the king uh, himself is just really not coming off well to me. And it's nothing against uh, Patty Constantine, mm-hmm. who plays him, uh, King Viserys. I just think the writing for Viserys is just boring. Yeah. And like, there's nothing that makes me want to sink my teeth into, you know, really getting in, in, hooked around his character. Well, you, you, you got to figure it's, it's because we know he's on borrowed time, you know, without knowing timelines and how long he rules and this and that. Just the fact that, like, we're talking about heirs and being worried about it and being concerned. And let's face it, medieval times, both in real life and in fantasy series, you're typically not long for this world if you're a king, you mm-hmm. know, or, or just a regular peasant. Life, life expectancy was not long in the Middle Ages. Let's just, let's just put it that way. Well, that's the whole point is you know you don't want to get too hooked on with people and that's one thing that especially was... in george r. r martin well that's the thing he's he's known to kill everybody at the same time what's that you love that dog dead yeah holy shit why is john wick in uh in game of thrones because it's all about family 
Either way. Game of Thrones can't handle Dominic Toretto. Oh, I'm waiting for that crossover. That's what's going to happen Fast 11. You heard it here first. So without any more further ado, let's get that countdown going. So we're going to start talking spoilers of the episode three. Second of his name is the title. So Mm -hmm. if you're not ready for it, we give you fair warning to pause the podcast right here. Because in three, two, one, Pat. Talk to me. thought it was a good episode. Not as good as the first two, but I still enjoyed it. Like I said, it was a little bit of a slow burn, which, you know, I'm all right with. You know, I, I don't want multiple slow burn episodes. But given the fact that, you, you know, he had all the action and intrigue and, and fighting to set this one up, made sense. You had to take a little bit of a pause, let things kind of gestate, uh, you know, And but I still enjoyed it. Prince Damon better than Jon Snow. I said it. I'm not backing down from that you, statement you one ca- bit. You have a case for it. I'm not backing down one iota on this one. Hell No. Matt Smith is absolutely crushing this show. And finally, we get to see how badass of a character he, he really is. I'm sorry, the first episode when he was doing the jousting and whatever that nonsense was, yeah, it was cool and all, but no, this is when he's like, okay, I'm plotting some dirty stuff to get my brother out of the throne because he's whiny and he sucks. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take out one of the big bads in the land by myself on my dragon, and if that doesn't work, I'm just gonna storm into his house and go get him. Fuck it, couch. Seriously, this was like one of the most badass moments in mm-hmm. Game of Thrones history. Yeah, without yeah. any question. Because I mean, they open up, and we gotta remember too. On this show, they do time jumps, mm-hmm. so we have to remember that that like every episode is like a year later, two years later. I think this one might have been like six months or so, but yeah. It, it was something like that because I thought we I thought we were at least two years later. Oh, it could be, yeah. Two or three, like two or three range because you now see the battle that's been going on with Prince Damon and mm-hmm. Lord Corliss mm-hmm. who are trying to take out the crab people. Yeah. And Craigus Daher, mm-hmm. who is the uh, one that's controlling the area, that they're going slaughtering people you see this great opening scene where Matt Smith comes flying in, never-ending story style on his Ooh-hoo. dragon. I need I need somebody to edit that music in. It's going to happen. If it hasn't happened already, it needs to happen. And he's lighting people on fire. But then he even gets taken down in his dragon. So the dragon is not the end-all, be-all of this. And the one thing that he's noticing is his brother is not going near this situation. That for whatever reason, he's remaining out of this. Yeah. So... I don't exactly know what to think of it. Obviously, he's been more preoccupied because now he's going to have a son on the way because, Mm -hmm. well, he married his daughter's best friend. Uh, Yeah. We just chalked that up to what pad? Reasons. Reasons. (laughs) Yes, this is the uh, not-so-fun stuff of... It's, it's the it's Game the it's the weird side of Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones had you know the first series had incest between brother and sister, and now you got this. Yeah, so you know if you're familiar with this world, you just kind of go, okay, next, please. But this is where you kind of see what is going on, and like whenever he's having a child, he he makes it like a big event. Like you know now, obviously we do the gender reveal parties. Mm-hmm. You know he's like, you know what, I gotta go kill something, or watch somebody get killed. Yeah. Weird thing, but, you know, then again, Pat, it's one reasons. reasons. So he is now planning to go hunt something to celebrate the fact that he now has a male heir coming to the throne. And you're seeing, though, that the current heir, Reyna, is not exactly happy that she's been overlooked. Yeah, she's taking it, yeah, not so well. And rightfully so. I mean, oh, obviously, yeah. when the, when the yeah, throne yeah. is supposed to be hers, and then obviously 
Well, somebody calls the audible, and she's now getting thrown to the wayside. I mean, if you got a parent who promises you, you know, a nice car, I'm not saying like a fancy car for mm-hmm. your for your 18th birthday, you know, something new, maybe maybe something on like a, like a newer Toyota, newer nice Hyundai, not like the low class, but like a mid class Hyundai, something like that, and you get like a clunker from like the early 90s, yeah, mm-hmm. you'd be upset too. You can understand why, and like I said, I'm not I'm not disputing that at all, but it. It's just something to notice, and and she's been very smart for her age too on this role. I mean, Emma Darcy, who plays her, has really been standing out in the performances because she knows what's going on and can see how the game is working itself, and she knows that the king is basically trying to get rid of her and does another promised marriage to make the houses combined and make a stronger you know army in case anybody tries invading the land. Game of Thrones one hundred one. Mm-hmm. And one of the names that is getting thrown around, well, you know the last name, and that's Lannister. And she is not exactly too happy with this. And you do see that she's getting you know, offered about, well, you can marry this person, you can marry this yeah. person. She is just basically not hearing any of this, and rightfully so. She ain't about that life. No, she's not. She's like, no, I'm, you're not going to force me to do something to you know, try fixing the riff you have, because obviously the House of Corliss is ticked off at, you know, Viserys because, well, he opted to marry somebody else. Yeah, and went back back on his deal. Yeah, so it's kind of an an odd situation, but... Ask the Snows how that went. Exactly. So so she winds up taking off for the episode and, and, you know, like basically, you know, getting the idea of what's going on and just basically says, like, I need to kind of forge my own destiny and deal with that. To to paraphrase a little bit. Yeah. She didn't have a lot this episode, but she did have a very significant point as she left the kingdom, went into the woods, and obviously kind of had to fight off a a boar that was attacking her. Yeah. So that was kind of an interesting situation there. Something about boars in this universe. Don't fuck with them. Yeah, I know. It's kind of a weird thing going on as well, too. Something with boars and royalty. Mm -hmm. And then also you do see that the hand of the king, Otto, is trying to talk to Queen Alicent. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a weird saying, too. Yeah. Uh, It's not going to get any better. Yes. About naming the new child Aegon. Now, why is that name significant? Uh, Because if you remember Game of Thrones, you know what happens with said child. Yeah, that's nothing a, good. Nothing good is it's, on the it's, way. It's not milk and cookies. No, so you're kind of seeing the origin of uh, a very bad scenario. It, it's one of those things that, like, you know, I don't think Game of Thrones has like the deep appendixes like Lord of the Rings does, where like all the history's falling in this and that. But if you did pay attention to Game of Thrones and you, some of the stuff they mentioned and some of the history they they mentioned, you can connect a few dots and see where we're going. Yeah, so we're now starting to see the seeds getting planted for this. And I'm not sure how to feel about that. It'll be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how they do it. But then again, it's like anything with a prequel. You know how this is going to end. Mm -hmm. It's just seeing how we get there has got to really entice you. Well, and it could just be a case of, you know, what they said happened in Game of Thrones might not have been what actually happened. I mean, history does get diluted over time, especially as, you know, the history is repeated and this and that. You know, so what was said in Game of Thrones might not have been what actually happened. So we'll see. Yeah, so... As the king now knows he has an heir coming, and he also has a trouble situation going on. Like, it's kind of a weird thing that he goes out and finds this big moose. Yeah. And can't kill it. Yeah. Some king you are. Yeah, like, it's kind of... lazy fuck. It's kind of like this weird scenario because they have it trapped and, like, he can't do a kill shot. Yeah. Now, granted, I'm not condoning it, 
But it's like, okay. Still, those guards are going to talk once you get back. Yeah, because everybody's looking at him like, what kind of king are you? You can't get a job done. You like, you yeah. can't, you know, because obviously in the Game of Thrones world, killing stuff is like a really big, you know, notoriety. Well, and, and well, and especially just with like as tenuous as, you know, royal life can be, you know, in, in real world and in Game of Thrones, where it's very easy for somebody to roll up on you and kill you and, and usurp the throne. You have to look strong, you know, you got to look powerful and not being able to kill wildlife is not exactly helping your uh, status, my guy. Yeah, so it's a weird scenario going on, but this also kind of has him do a change of heart because I think he now understands what's going on and he's now finally gives help to Damon. And so Damon basically is not exactly too happy. Like, okay, now you're going to do this. Yeah. Thanks for nothing. Yeah. Because there's a whole plan with him and Corliss and the army that's down there about basically we're going to sacrifice you to draw out the crab leader. Gee, thanks. Yeah. Craig is there. And, it's kind of an odd scenario because you'd see that Damon is basically like, what did I sign up for? Mm-hmm. But this also leads to one of the most badass scenes of all Game of Thrones fandom because you see him go down into the ashes of where they've been losing the battle. And like I said, at the beginning of the show, you start seeing where the dragon was charring people. You started seeing uh, hands getting impaled and all types of gory stuff, which... Yeah. For them, it's a Tuesday. Yeah, pretty much. In the world of Game of Thrones. And now you see him go out in the basically the middle, and he's basically calling out Kragus and saying, come get me. I'm right here. Meanwhile, up on the mountaintops, you have Corliss with all his army ready to shoot arrows down. Because, well, this is how they fight in the medieval times. This is true. And sure enough, Kragus and the crab people take the bait. Mm-hmm. And they come out in full force. Yes, they do. And then all of a sudden, you start seeing the hail of arrows come down. And Damon realizes, like, basically, I've been set up. Yep. Like, now it sinks in, like... Hook, line, sinker, and you are a sucker. Yeah, because he winds up taking two arrows. Yep. And he's more or less dying for a a degree. And then you start seeing the the backup forces show up. You see that uh, he gets a reinforcement from a dragon. Mm Mm-hmm. And who is riding on that one, Pat? Uh, that would be uh, Sir Laner Valerian. Yes. So now he's finally getting the backup. The dragon is doing what the dragon does best. He does see that Kregis takes off into the cave. And then with two arrows stuck in him, Matt Damon, or I'm sorry, I should say Matt Damon. Matt Smith's Damon is basically like, F this. I'm ending this right now. I have a sword. I'm angry. I've been stabbing people left and right because when they first tried running up on him, he played hooky, or a little deceit here, mm-hmm. and started stabbing people left and right. So he's fighting everybody by himself. And I think he's like, okay, if I'm going to die, at least I'm taking everybody with me. And he's like, no, you're going to try running away? No, 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 we're handling this. He goes into the cave. Meanwhile, everybody else is fighting on the outside. You're seeing the big running of the crab army versus the remaining forces. It's a big brouhaha, much like we've seen in Game of Thrones past. Oh, yeah. Like, so this is nothing super crazy to see. But this is the first time we've seen this on House of the Dragon. And it lives up to the hype. Like, it's just back and forth battling. It's medieval as it gets. And then when, like, the smoke clears, you see Damon come running out with the half torso of Kregis. Mm-hmm. Now, I have to say my only problem with this episode is this was Night King Part 2. 
we had this villain that we've seen for two episodes now because yeah. he, he looks horrific because he has crab shell on him. Yeah. It is what it is. And yet he's one and done when we finally see him get the face off. It is what it is. Yeah. But, I, but I was kind of like, okay, you really – like I thought this was going to be something we were going to see for a few episodes. No. But you see Damon come out and basically just drag his carcass and leave it there, and he's just standing there exhausted like, okay, what else do I got to do? And that's how the episode ends. So I literally just sat there. I was like, he has my vote. Let him run the kingdom. I don't care. He's crazy. Like he, the fact that he goes down there, he knows it's a setup. He's ticked off about it. They're shooting arrows. Like his own people are shooting arrows at him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, I'm ending this one way or another. I don't even care. Like I, I could get killed here. We're walking around with three arrows stuck in me. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. I see you going in that cave. No, no, no. We're ending this right now, motherfucker. That is how mad he was. And he goes out and finishes the job. Meanwhile, like everybody else is like riding around on dragons or hiding on the hilltops or, you know, some of them actually ran down on the, on the playing field and it works. And it definitely established how much of a, a character that he is moving forward. And meanwhile, you have back at the kingdom. Well, Viserys is just <laughs> wasting space. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I don't know. That's how my vibe is about Pat. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm a little bit. I mean, you got to think about it. It's like it, for being like three episodes in. More should be developed that you really start getting hooked on characters. And I think the only one that's standing out right now is, is Matt Smith's Damon. Everybody else is just there. Mm-hmm. And I know it's early and I get that point, but I'm saying this is probably the strongest episode they had because you know what? People can now get invested. Yeah. Whether you like the character or not, he owned that time on the screen and you could not take your eyes off him in the performance he was given. So like I say, I'm completely team Damon. He can go kill Varys and everybody else in the kingdom for all I care. Because, you know, I three episodes in, that's the only character I care about because that's the only one that's standing out. I mean, Renair is still great as the princess, too, but she's very young, so she's not going to be fighting anybody yet. But she's still somebody that's, you know, really getting a lot of screen time, and you're starting to see her character, and you can start getting behind her, much like you did with uh, Arya Stark. Yeah. So, you know, like I say, you can start picking your fan favorites now. But obviously with Game of Thrones, like, everybody's kind of expendable, so it's it you don't want to get too attached to characters. So that being said, Pad, final thoughts on this episode. Thought it was a really fun episode. You know, a little slow, but still fun nonetheless. Uh, excited to see where things go because I have no idea where they're going, other than a couple, oh, a couple key details. Damon would absolutely crush Jon Snow. I said it now. I'll say it again. You can add me at ODPH Podcast on Twitter. I will defend this. One episode in, he took care of business like nobody else, and he really set the tempo for the show. So now I'm excited to see where we go from here because obviously. His deal paid off with Lord Corliss. Mm-hmm. So now I guess the time is ticking away for Viserys. I don't think he makes it out of this season alive. I really don't. Now, Probably not. how he gets taken out is a whole different story. But for three episodes in, I'm definitely entrenched with the story going on now because we finally have a character that's standing up and doing something. It's not somebody else sitting there whining about marriage and heirs and all that jazz. It's this boring time. Like in three episodes, nothing's really stood out there. You have somebody that's like, okay, we need to go set an example. We need to go make a statement. I just took over a kingdom down there that nobody else could do, and I did it without my dragon, too. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you going to do to me? Nothing? <laughs> Get ready for the takeover, because here it comes. That's just our takes on House of the Dragon, episode three, entitled Second of His Name. But hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod, and let us know what you think about the show. Are you watching this? Or are you not? And if so... What did you think about this episode? What characters are standing out to you? We're three episodes in, but it's making enough buzz, but is it enough to keep your attention going? Let's have that conversation, shall we?
We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Have you ever found yourself confused about the current state of the MCU or whatever the hell is happening with the DC universe? Do you often have no idea what the hell the difference is between craft beer and that butt ice stuff at the gas station? Well, then look no further. We present to you Hops Geek News. We're yet another geek and beer podcast in an already oversaturated market. All right, all right. We drink and we pretend we know things. More often than not, we don't really know things, but we do talk some really great topics and we most definitely can drink. We'll deliver you news and then dive into any random topic you might have never knew you actually were passionate about. With lots of fun facts about beer. And from Marvel to DC and Star Wars, and to why Die Hard is most definitely a Christmas movie. Which it is. Basically anything that our spouses are sick of hearing us talk about. Join us on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes weekly. Just search Hops News. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And there's another show that's been making some waves. So it's not all just House of the Dragon. It's not all She-Hulk. But if you're a fan of fantasy, it's been a very good week. Yeah, it has. There's a lot of content on right now. And this is one that debuted on Prime Video Mm -hmm. that definitely has a lot of people talking. A lot of people. Yeah. Holy shit. And this is one Pad will have to guide me a little more so because... He is a very big fan of this uh, franchise. Yes. More than I am, but I definitely was watching the episodes with him. But he can definitely talk about yeah. it a little better than I, and that is yeah. The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Mm-hmm. So, Pad, why don't you talk a little bit about this? Well, first, before we get into the fun stuff, we got to get into some, into some ugly stuff uh, because there is an actor on the show by the name of Ismail Cruz Cordova uh, who plays uh, Aaron Deer uh, on Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, Rings of Power. He is a person of color. He is the first person of color to play an elf in the Lord of the Rings franchise. And I, I should say surprisingly, but let's face it, in this day and age, it's not surprisingly. Uh, unsurprisingly, he is getting targeted by racist trolls online and social media. And, and so are some of the other per- people uh, of color on this show. To which I say, if you are a person who is having an issue with these actors and actresses purely based on their skin tone... Fuck you. I'm not even going to quote sugarcoat it. I'm not even going to give a warning. Hard, cold, fuck you. Second here. If you have an issue with, you know, their acting, if you don't like the character, if you just don't care for the story, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. I, I got zero, sure. zero issue with sure. that. But if your issue with them is strictly, well, they're black and I never pictured a, an African-American person in the world of Tolkien. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. It's even gotten to the point where you had three or excuse me, four of the original hobbits, uh, Elijah Wood, Dominic Moynihan and Billy Boyd uh, take to Twitter today from Elijah Woods tw- official Twitter account. You are all welcome here. Tagging Lord of the Rings on prime. Another individual who on his website is, uh, has a shirt for sale. I will mention in a minute with the hashtag rings of power. And it is Sam Mar- is or not Sam. It's Frodo, Mary and Pippin all standing together with a shirt that in Elvish reads, you are all welcome here. And on it is various ears, Elvish ears of various skin tones. Uh, also on Sean Astin, who played Sam in the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, he posted, you are all welcome here. Hashtag rings of power at Lord of the Rings on prime hashtag middle earth hashtag Samwise, and then tagging the three other uh, Hobbit actors. And he is uh, seen wearing a hat of said design. 
Uh, and like I said, there is a shirt uh, currently for sale on uh, a website. I will put the link to this shirt in the show description of the show uh, because it is going for $22. It is in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different colors, uh, all sorts of sizes, everything from small to four to four XT. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and the thing with this is all proceeds from this shirt being sold are going to a charity of uh, the actor uh, Ismael Cruz Cordova's choosing. Oh, awesome. So, if, like I said, if you are one of these actors or one of these people going after an actor or actress strictly based on their color and, and not story or just whatever else, like, even if it's all oh, this character's not in lore, fine. I understand that. I don't agree with you, but that's fine. But if you're going after them strictly on their based on their skin tone, fuck you. Uh, and we also have a message from the Rings of Power cast. Quote, we, the cast of Rings of Power, stand together in absolute solidarity against the relentless racism, threats, harassment, and abuse some of our castmates of color are being subjected to on a daily basis. We refuse to ignore it or tolerate it. J.R.R. Tolkien created a world which, by definition, is multicultural, a world in which free peoples from different races and cultures join together in fellowship to defeat the forces of evil. Rings of Power reflects that. Our world has never been all white. Fantasy has never been all white. Middle Earth is not all white. But BIPOC uh, belong in Middle Earth, and they are here to stay. Finally, all our love and fellowship go out to the fans supporting us, especially fans of color who are themselves being attacked simply by existing in this fandom. We see you, your bravery and endless creativity, your cosplays, fan cams, fan art, and insights make this community a richer place and remind us of our purpose. You are valid, you are loved, and you belong. You are an integral part of the Lord of the Rings family. Thanks for having our backs. Namare. I'll second everything Pat just said, too. And if that's a problem that you are just attacking people based on bullshit, mm-hmm. fuck you. Like, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast because we, we definitely do not agree with your views in that aspect. So I'm going to tell you right now, stop listening to this podcast if that's something you're preaching and you're you're siding with people and going after them for those bullshit reasons. Oh yeah, like we, I, yeah, like I said, if you got issue with they're not in the lore, or it's not canon. Uh, fine, I've been dealing with that. I've been hearing that shit for 20 years with mm-hmm. the with the Lord of the Rings movies. It's nothing new. I'm I'm at this point I'm immune to it. You know, but so if you if you got an issue with that, fine. If you uh, hey, I just don't like the story they're doing with this character. Fine, I don't like the way they're portraying this character. Okay. Yeah. Zero issue. Well, I don't like this character because I never pictured a person of color in the Tolkien world. Fuck you. Exactly. That's such a shit take, and you're a shit person for saying that if that's what you're doing. Like, I'm sorry. You shouldn't be listening to this podcast, period. So jump ship now. For everybody else that's still here, we appreciate you. Absolutely. So that said, let us get into that discussion about how we have seen the creativity of the Lord of the Rings universe get brought to a new audience here with the Rings of Power. So, mm-hmm. Pad, we have seen the first two episodes. A lot of people saw the first two episodes. Holy fuck. You got the reading in front of you? Uh, so, yeah, reading from an article on CNBC.com, the headline of this, the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, was watched by more than 25 million globally. No, that's one or two. So it says uh, Amazon. Uh, the article reads, quote, Amazon said Saturday, mind you, this is Saturday. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, 
basically 48 hours after it came out, uh, that the first episode of its Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power series attracted over 25 million viewers globally in its first day, making it the biggest ever debut for, for a show on its prime video streaming service. Uh, close quote. Holy shit. I knew it would attract a lot of people. I never expected that kind of number. No, I definitely didn't expect that kind of number. But this is one thing when you're talking about a fandom such as Lord of the Rings. And like I say, it's not for everybody. Sure. But there's a lot of people that do enjoy it, obviously, as you see. And I think a lot of that viewer audience wanted to go in and see. We knew the budget for this show was huge. Uh, $500 million. Yeah. Uh, the most expensive television show in history. So I think people might have tuned in to see what the hype was about. And I think a lot of people that have gone to see the movies, because let's face it, the, the franchise is a very successful one in Hollywood. I'll say the franchise is very successful, and, they're, and it's one of, if not the most best-selling book series of the 20th century. Yeah, by far. So Hand, Hands down. So there's a lot of invested interest in this. And I think for we'll go into the spoiler-free statement of both shows, because we're, we're just going to combine them for a recap. I think this ep- this show really did a good job mm-hmm. about connecting the previous films to here. Yep. It still had that big cinematic feel to it. The special effects were not uh, anything to sneeze about. No. By any means. Like there, there was one moment where maybe it was just my television. There was one moment where, like, the special effects maybe could have used maybe five more minutes to touch up. But other than that, the special effects looked incredible. No, I thought they definitely were looking amazing. And I think that this is a show that definitely lived up to the hype. Like I say, there were some people that maybe weren't in love with it as much as you know other shows that we've seen. But I think that this is a situation where, like any Lord of the Rings film, it takes a while to get going. And you need to have a lot of patience with it. That, well, and they're also setting up a lot. Yeah, there's definitely a, a ton that is going on. With that, so you really, like I say, I can't stress enough, you need to go in with a very low-key, you know, speeding through Mm -hmm. mentality for it because you're going to get a lot of information at once, and it's going to take some time to get there. Well, and especially since this is just the first two episodes of the first season with four more additional seasons already in the works. Mm Mm-hmm. So this this ain't going to be at oh we're going to try and get everything in in the story wise one season and then after that with season two we'll figure out where we are if we're picked up for no they're already doing planning on doing four more seasons so barring you know the floor falling out or the world ending which God I God I hope not you know there are there is going to be more of the show so this isn't going to be exactly you know of quick you know quick hop and a skip simple walk into Mordor no it's definitely not like they're going to be taking the scenic route to put it mildly. So you just have to go in that knowing this, because for me, there was a lot that is going on. Sure. The first episode, especially, there was a lot of setup. Yeah. There was kind of like, okay, I'm sticking with this because I want to try seeing who basically rises to the top and who mm-hmm. falls because there was so much going on. Yeah. It was like. Yeah. Even for me, the first episode was a tiny bit overwhelming. Yeah. It was almost like sensory overload. Like, a little, to, little like, bit. To be honest with little you. Bit. And I'm sitting there going like, okay. Uh, no, I agree with you. Yeah. So like for you need to go in that. Second episode I thought was a lot cleaner. I thought yes. they, they they made a lot of improvements. And like I say, the special effects, I felt better about this show than I did Wheel of Time. Okay. Going to be honest. No, I agree it. with you. Going to be honest about it. So think both episodes are worth a watch. Yes. That said, you know the countdown drill by now. Three, two, one. Pad, talk to me. 
I listen. I was a little skeptical of this just because listen, it's Lord of the Rings. It's a, it's a book series and a franchise I hold near and dear to my heart. So, you know, I'm, and you know, in a couple of weeks going to be rewatching you know Hobbit, Lord of the Rings films. You know, I've read the books more times than I count, and I now own at least one, two, three, four different versions of them in various audiobooks. I own. I'm gonna. I own two radio dramatizations. You know, and then I own two different readings of the books. You know, so I and I listen to the, at least one of those versions every year. You know, so I was skeptical about this because, listen, it's it, obviously you look at the Peter Jackson films, which are, with the exception of a couple of chapters, a couple of scenes, a couple of characters, basically a one for one, you know, uh, translation from book to screen, you know, but Peter Jackson's not involved with this. You know, the folks at uh, Warner Brothers, you know, the, or the behind the scenes aren't involved with this. This is a whole new crew. This is a whole new director, a new, whole new everything. So I was like. You know, are we going to get the same kind of faithful adaptation with this? You know, Howard Shore's not doing the score. You know, is Bear McCreary going to be able to step up to the task? Because it's some of the most popular uh, or some of my favorite soundtracks I, I've listened to. You know, but with that said, it, it exceeded my expectations. You know, I already I had high expectations, but it, it exceeded it just in terms of scale and depth and just everything they set up. I was blown away. I was very impressed with this show for the fact of this did not look like Wheel of Time. Right. And I'm not, and I don't want to mean to be so critical of Wheel of Time, but I think what really hurt them the first season is the special effects just didn't really hit. Mm-hmm. And I thought for what they were trying to do, like it could have been a little sharper. So maybe the next season we're going to get a little tighter there. Just my opinion. Like I, I, Wheel of Time I thought was okay. I thought this was a lot cleaner in that aspect. Yes. And I thought they, and from episode one, episode two, I thought they really fixed a lot of the areas that I had problems with. Sure. And I think that ultimately, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, this is all set up for, for Galadriel. Yeah. Galadriel, yeah. Galadriel to be like the center hero of this whole story. It's what it's looking like, yeah. Because, I mean, Rowan. Mm-hmm. Is the only other person that really stood out to me here. Yeah. Or in this early stage. Early stage, yeah. Because we start off with like a very far and away recap yeah, it's, of a it, battle. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the first movie, Fellowship of the Ring. You know, it's kind of like a recap of like, hey, here's what led up to this point. Yes. And you're and well, I mean, they open up with like the kid sequence where you're seeing Galadriel and her brother Finrod. Yep. Who are like playing as kids and Galadriel's making like a, a paper swan mm-hmm. and is like, okay, well, we'll just, I, I chalked it up to reasons, reasons, but it was what it was. It was kids, it, it, kids being kids. It's kids being kids. So I was like, okay, I'm, I I don't get this, but you know, it was, it, it just was like, okay, I'm going to roll with it. Well, so if you're sitting at home going, how can Galadriel be alive now and be alive in the, in the Lord of the Rings movies? Listen, elves in the Tolkien world live a hilarious long amount of time. Yeah. It's something crazy. So you're seeing this go down. And you're seeing like her origin story, and yep. obviously they fast forward a little bit. So when you see a battle going on, Finrod gets killed mm-hmm. during this, and I mean it, it played up to the to the fight scenes though you've seen with Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So so off the bat, I thought like okay, we're looking good here, especially yeah, especially the opening, very reminiscent and very evoking, you know, kind of the memories you might have of the original Fellowship of the Ring movie where it opened up, you know, with Galadriel ironically enough given you know in the beginning you know and all that kind of stuff and then you see the big battle so it was very evoking back to that original movie yeah so a lot of this like i said they were centering around her and going with her character and obviously we know kate blanchett plays her in the later films yep 
So you're seeing just how she comes to be and and the origin story. Like I said, and I thought they played it very well because you see the motivation. Yeah. She's trying to pick up her brother's quest since mm-hmm. he's dead. And you're seeing a lot of the imagery, too. I know they, they carved in, like, the, the tombstone into a tree yeah. at one point, which I thought that was that was very cool. I mean, it's very Tolkien. Oh, yeah. But I thought just, like, the, the attention to detail about mm-hmm. stuff like that, I thought really stood out. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I really don't know what's going on here. But I'm okay with this. Mm-hmm. And then you see her basically making a play to she's going to get on a ship and start sailing out. Mm-hmm. So this is the point. Like I started getting confused because like she's trying to track down what appears to be Finrod's uh, sidekick. Well, she's she's hunting down. She's searching for uh, Sauron. So like the Sauron, the Sauron. So what they showed in the beginning was uh, the Sauron's boss. You know, it was, it was you know the precursor to Sauron, uh, Morgoth. Yeah, okay, he he was in the he was in the first age. You know, the first however many thousand years, he was the big bad then. He had a lieutenant by the name of Sauron, who was this you know uh, person who got corrupted. You know, I'm overly simplifying it because, let's face it, if I get into the nitty-gritty of Tolkien, we'll be here till you know, Christmas. It'll be a five-hour episode. Yeah. So, you know, Sauron got corrupted, brought into Morgoth's uh, tutelage, I guess you could say, became Morgoth's right-hand man. Battle ensued with Morgoth. Morgoth got defeated. Sauron went off and was like, ah, shit, you know, got beaten. So Galadriel Finrod was on his way trying to track down Sauron because... We know he's still a thing. We know he's still around, but like we can't find him. We need to find him. This is going to be an issue if we don't take care of this. Mm-hmm. And he gets killed along the way. And she goes, damn it. I know who did this. And it's now my job to find him. Yeah. So you do have her origin story. And then she's on she's on the quest to do it. Mm-hmm. And then it was like the weird sequence where she was on the boat. Yeah. And they're like sailing right into the light. Well, I think that was her going to uh, basically a, a place that was alluded to in the original films. Uh, you know, it's basically the afterlife for the elves where they live forever. Yeah, like it was just kind of like a weird thing going on to see her start out that way because I thought to hit the ground running that far, mm-hmm. I thought they could have used a little more backstory. Like, I'd sure. Because, I mean, obviously you can tell by the sound of my voice. A little confusing about there this. was a lot going on because yeah there was a lot going on because then it's like you start going into other places on Middle Earth mm-hmm. and you're seeing like how everybody's kind of having this weird reaction and you're seeing like more people get connected because you see El- Ad Rondin mm-hmm. if I, I apologize I probably butchered that name uh, and his connection to Brown mm-hmm. so you're starting to see how that's starting to form there. And how like that's going to play off in the in the future? I think was kind of an interesting. It's, situation. it's setting up some future plots. Yeah, because yeah. Arondit is obviously seems like he is a soldier of some sort, mm-hmm. and how he is going to be tying into this. They just kind of delved in a little bit about it because basically everybody is saying, "Well, we got to deal with the aftermath of Morgoth." Yep, and he's definitely taking a point to it. And then they're trying to search through what is going on with this village, and they know that everything has absolutely been smashed to smithereens here. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to piece it together. And Bronwyn's son, Theo, is somebody that is finding a relic. And, Pad, what is that relic? Uh, that would be a broken sword bearing Sauron's mark on it, and it was found near Valinor, uh, which is the which is the undying lands that were alluded to in the end of Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, that uh, the elves are sailing to, and Frodo and Bilbo and Gandalf go to. So the the fact that they're finding something, which is supposed to be this, like, holy place, this, like, 
place full of full of light and you can live forever. The fact that they're finding something of Sauron's there, yeah, that's concerning. Yeah. So Arondir is definitely somebody to watch here with this and Brown. Like this was an interesting story to play because you have everything going on with Galadriel mm-hmm. and like so they're kind of setting up like they're both on the same path, but they just haven't crossed yet. Yeah. Like that's the way I took it. Yeah. So pretty much. Because obviously you're seeing the Galadriel is like going into the afterlife, trying to make sure everything got, is going there. And then last minute she jumps ship. Yep. Literally. Oh yeah. Which is not the bad idea because like that whole scene just looked telegraphed. I, I have to yeah. say just, for me watching. And, like, yeah. For me watching home, it's like, Oh, this is a suicide mission. Pretty much. It's like, you're going to go in the afterlife, but you're not coming back. Mm-hmm. And well, if your whole mission is to pick up your brother's quest, it's like, what the hell are you doing on this ship? Unless you thought like it was going to get her to on the trail to Sauron. But, I mean, she was very smart enough to jump ship, obviously, yeah. going into the water and how dangerous the seas were at that time is not exactly a smart play. And then the other story they had going on is you see there are two people, two Harfoots. Mm-hmm. Now, Pad, what are those to kind of put in my way? Harfoots are basically prequels to the Hobbits. They, event- okay. they eventually migrate to the Shire and into the parts of the Middle Earth where the Hobbits live, and then they become the Hobbits. Okay, so that's what I kind of thought, but I just wanted a clarification. This is how fucking deep Tolkien went. Yeah, like I said, this is like some next level stuff going <laughs> yeah. on here. So you, so you start seeing Proudfellow and Brandyfoot? Yep. And they find basically a shooting star crash to Earth, so to speak. Uh-huh. And we find in the center of this, mm-hmm. what pad? Uh, there's a dude in the middle of this. Yeah. Yeah. This is like a la Terminator. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Which, Na- naked laying on his side. Yeah. Which yeah. I, I swear if they hit, I would have marked out. That would have been awesome. Just reasons. I don't, I don't even care. Like like Arnold just comes walking through there. <laughs> and he's like, you know, sorry, wrong movie. <laughs> like I would have been fine. But like, okay, you know what? Let's just roll with this. But that's how it ends. That you see the yeah. the the hobbits here find this stranger yeah. in this pool of fire. Yeah. And like literally that's how episode one ends. But then you start shipping back to what's going on with Galadriel to start mm-hmm. episode two off. She's swimming. And she's swimming, and obviously she's with uh survivors mm-hmm. of a broken ship. Yep. And they're getting attacked. Yep. By the Meg, say, yeah, pretty, pretty much, much. Pretty much, it's a giant sea monster in the middle of the ocean. That like they're she's hanging out, she's exhausted, you know, she's ready to pass out. They don't want to let her on, you know. But then they, they finally let her on. They're like, hey, what's going on? Well, yeah, blah blah blah. And at one point through the mist, they like, hey, that's our ship coming towards us. Oh shit, that's our ship coming towards us. That's not good. Yeah, and all of a sudden they they start having to survive that treachery of the beast is just swimming around there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was, it was a cool special effect. I got to say this, like that scene, I'm not going to say it was cheesy, yeah, but it played up to like what you've seen in, in most underwater horror films mm-hmm. a little bit, like not to the degree, like you're like, <gasps> but it was just a cool image to see mm-hmm. because all of a sudden you see that ship moving. Then you see this big monster coming through with fins and everybody's getting rocked. Yeah. And you know, the fact that she survives with Halbrant, Mm-hmm is going to play a factor later on in this up in, in the series coming forward. Oh yeah. Because this is going to be her base, basically heroic moment mm-hmm. that, okay, she's saving somebody else. Now she's starting to develop that confidence to be a hero reluctant as it might be, but still it's what's going to be needed. Then the episode shifts again to the hobbits with Sauron. I mean, let's be honest. And I know Tyler from 30 and nerdy was saying the same thing too. 
you're seeing now that they're trying to protect him and he has no memory of what's going on. Yep. He's very, very out of place in every action he's doing, but you can definitely tell there's a lot going on with him. Mm-hmm. And they kind of use like a weird technique with fireflies to communicate. Yeah. Like, do you have any elaboration on this, Pad? Well, I know the popular theory going around is that he's Gandalf or Saruman, which, no, he's not. Uh, based off of the appendixes and the history of Lord of the Rings, this show takes place, and I'm going to try and keep this simplified. This show takes place. Please do. <laughs> this show takes place before the battle you see at the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring. Okay. The wizards in Gandalf, uh, Saruman, uh, and the other one, the other three I'm blanking out. Well, two of them, we don't even know the name of the blue wizards. And then, oh, Radagast. You know, so Radagast, Saruman, uh, Gandalf, and the blue wizards don't show up until after that battle. So this isn't Gandalf. This isn't Saruman. This gentleman, even though he doesn't speak, you know, a basic language that they can understand, He's speaking a language, and if you know anything and you recognize any of the languages spoken in Middle-earth, he's speaking a specific one, and it's one that Gandalf dare not utter in the Shire. Mm. He's speaking the black speech. Mm. And there are some subtle note hints in the background if you listen to the music alluding to Sauron. That's what I was kind of thinking, like, because they, they played it as just dark magic all around. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the basic way that yeah. they do this. And I know, like... Tolkien... Which, which, if I remember the history right, you know, he, Sauron basically backdoor sneaks into Middle Earth and then just kind of starts going about his way, which works for, for the history. But in terms of story purposes, I like this one better. No, this, this one made a lot more sense to me. And like I say, I am going this with very fresh eyes. Mm-hmm. Like, this is all kind of new territory for me. But it definitely looked like, okay, something was going on and there was more trickery to him. Oh, yeah, there's there's more to this guy than meets you on. I can tell you right now, that is not Gandalf and that is not Saruman. Yeah, and I fully believe you on that one. And, like, as you see how he uses the fireflies to establish a constellation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's, he's looking for a constellation, uh, you know, but nobody there knows what he's talking about. Yeah, so it's it's still kind of like a, a little bit of a weird situation. And they don't do too much else with uh, Arondir. Who's the soldier? Mm-hmm. Except he's investigating something else, so he gets separated from Browen. Yep, and he gets basically captured. Yeah, you see, like his hands grab him out, like out of nowhere, and like almost like in a haunted house. Yeah. So his story, like he didn't have that much of this episode too, which I was hoping he had more screen time because I did like how him and Browen were working together. Yeah, and not to say like them away from each other wasn't working, but I thought like okay, if you're going to separate him this early, give me something more because obviously you can tell like there's more going on between those two. Than they're saying right now, mm-hmm. and something like I'm like okay as new characters, I'm definitely interested to see where we go. I just thought they did him a disservice with this, sure, just because it was like blinking, you miss it, sure. Like, like we faced too much time of, of Galdriel uh, versus the Meg, sure. But then they do make up for it though because Browen has like one of the most badass moments of the entire show thus far, mm-hmm. because as she goes to her house with her son Theo, mm-hmm. they get attacked by an orc. Yeah, they do. And you're seeing like this wild ass action sequence going on where the orc is messing with them. They're fighting back. There's a lot of stabbing going on. Yeah, there is. There's a hanging at one point. Yeah. And that does nothing. And basically how it ends is Browen cuts its head off. Yep. And goes into town, drops it on a table, and says, everybody get the heck out of town. Yeah, you need to leave now. Like, how much of a mic drop do you need right here? I don't get any better. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. I was like, okay. 
Like, I now know you are going to definitely mess some people up. Yeah, you are. Because they handle stuff because the orc was huge. And, like, they got very creative when they're trying, you know, defending their own house. Mm-hmm. And, like I said, you saw Theo was almost getting eaten alive. Like, it almost had, like, a, a not a walking dead vibe to it, mm-hmm. but almost like a World War Z. Yeah. Like, how fast that thing was moving to. Yeah. So, definitely enjoyed that sequence. I was like, okay. Yep. You know, this makes sense. And you're establishing the characters so they can definitely survive these threats when you're seeing. Mm-hmm. And then it's like you start kind of going into a little more different directions with people. Mm-hmm. And then you start seeing about Elrond. Elrond, yeah. And what's going on there? So Elrond is sent by Gilgalad, who is an elven king. That's a whole other song I could get into, but I won't. Uh, you know, and he's sent to help the elven smith Celebrimbor, which heard that name, jumped out of my seat. Yeah. Uh, because Celebrimbor is planning on building a powerful new forge. And if you know anything about the Lord of the Rings mythos, you know what that forge is for. I'll just say it now. Uh, that forge is used to make the rings of power that the elves and the men and the dwarves use. Okay. And Celebrimbor is helping Sauron uh, make all those. But at the time, he doesn't know it's Sauron because Sauron at this point in time can shapeshift into this fair elven looking prince, you know, even though he's a real piece of shit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's sent to help uh, Celebrimbor, who's working on building a new powerful new forge. You know, and he he's like, listen, something this big is going to take forever by myself to build. I'm going to need some help. And Elrond goes, oh, lucky for you. I know some people who we can get some help from. Why don't we go talk to the dwarves? Uh, and he goes to talk to Prince Durin the Fourth in Khazad-dûm, which if that name sounds familiar, they're in Moria, folks. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. Now. That shot we saw where they walked in, that was them walking into Moria. Okay. They're in more. So they're in Moria. Um, you know, so which it's, it's awesome. Doran's a little pissed off cause he knows Elrond, you know, he hasn't visited in 20 years, you know, so, but Hey, stuff's going on. You know, he's, he's been busy, uh, in a roundabout way, you know, Doran initially doesn't want to help him, but Elrond invokes some rule, something or other, and gets in there and he goes, t- tells Celebrimbor, Hey, I'll come back to you. Sorry. You can't come with, you know, he then goes into Moria, talks to him, eventually gets to like, all right, you know, we'll, we'll help you, whatever. But then you get the scene at the end where the door's kind of like, oh, they can't know about what we found. You know, everyone will be after us if they know what we found. Got a hunch I know what they found. Oh? That would be Mithril. Uh, so the stuff that they made uh, Frodo's oh. cloak out of, oh. like the stuff, you know, the stuff that okay. they, they made the line in the uh, books. I can't remember if they made it in the movies or not because at this point they blended for me. Where the Mithril coat Frodo wears in Lord of the Rings is worth more than the whole of the Shire. Yeah. That shit's valuable, you know, so that's so they find the mithril in Moria and that's when they start delving because they get greedy as dwarves do and they want more and they want more and they want more. And eventually in the history, they delve too deep. Yeah. And then they find, well, if you've seen Lord of the Rings, you know what they find. Yeah. And that's basically, I mean, how things wrap up too. I mean, you got Elrond and, and Durham kind of ticked off at each other. Yeah. And obviously setting up for whatever Elrond's proposal mm-hmm. of business is going to be. Yeah. Like I say, it's an interesting play that they set up to kind of cap things off. I will say, I think, though, they had three good stories going on here. Oh, yeah, they do. And like I said, uh, Ismail Cordova's one is uh, Adrond or yep. Adir. Aaron Deer, yeah. Aaron Deer, thank you. I know I keep messing that one up. But, like, the elven names are very tough for oh, me. Oh, yeah. So, oh, no, it's understandable. But I thought... He had two really good episodes to kick off. I, do, I wish I saw him more in the episode two, though. Sure. Like, that's my only one that I wish we had more of. 
I thought Nazan Borlandi mm-hmm. as Brown. I think she looked oh, fantastic in the in the role there. As obviously she can handle herself. She was definitely fighting, and she's going to be a strong character as we see moving forward too. And I think though Mordif Clark, who's playing Gadriel, she is definitely going to be the star here because this is going to be all all signs point that it's just basically whenever she decides to meet up with everybody else. Mm-hmm. But I think how they had all three stories going on, I thought really played well into what they were trying to do. I think the only thing that might have been confusing a little bit, though, mm-hmm. and I'm not meaning this in a bad sense, but sure. as a, somebody that is just getting, you know, like let's say for like new readers, like we sure. always say with these comics, sure, it was tough. Oh, yeah, the first episode, especially for me who's watched Lord of the Rings lore videos and I've read the books and listened to the audiobooks, and it was overwhelming and sensory overload for me. Yeah, like I say, like for me, and I'm into them enough, like I've gone to see them, but I, like, I can't recite everything by heart. I was like, holy shit, like, this is a lot to take in. But it's still good. Like, it kept my attention, though. Like, that was the one thing. I didn't get as lost in the episode two, and I really liked the direction they went. I thought Brown's story really stood out, and I was really mad about Endear. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, okay, I need to see more of him and where we're going here because I thought he was just, like, quick one and done. Sure. And, and But granted, there's a lot of moving parts with the show. Oh, there is, and they're still introducing stuff. Right, which I'm just like, okay, maybe... In hindsight, they should have just started a little slower with like focusing on a couple characters here and then gradually get everybody else in, mm-hmm. you know, so you have enough time to really grasp what's going on. I will say the thing I like they did better with this, uh, unlike Game of uh, House of the Dragon, it's, it's pretty early on episode two, at least the overall main plot right now. We know what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, Galadriel's looking for Sauron evil building in the background, whereas with Game of Thrones kind of took a couple episodes and a little bit to get there. Yeah, so like them both, but you know, just in terms of like figuring out what the overall plot was, Lord of the Rings got there a little bit quicker. Exactly, and I think that's something I got to remember too, because like for in Game of Thrones, it took me about six episodes before I fully got like a sure. grasp of everything going on. Sure, I feel the same is going to happen here, but it was something that I was like, okay, this lives up to the hype. I thought like for for how sharp the special effects were, I thought they nailed it. Oh I th- yeah, I thought the story it did its job. Like it, the score was amazing. The score was on point. Like like all the little details worked. But I think it's if you're trying to get new people into this franchise, I think this was a little tougher sell than they maybe had originally planned. Sure. And it's not to say this was bad. I don't want to stress that. It wasn't, but it's a tougher sell to try assuming like, oh, everybody knows what this is. Sure. Because it's like, yeah, you, you can see this, the six other films and have a great idea. Mm-hmm. But unless you're somebody that really knows the fandom like yourself. Right. It's it's something that's taken a little while. Well, and I would say to anybody who's looking to show this to a friend and they haven't seen, for whatever reason, the original movies, I would not show them this show before showing them those movies. Don't don't go sensory overload and show them extended editions. Just stick with the theatricals. Mm-hmm. You know, do a, do a watch with them before you don't jump into this. Because if you jump straight into this, you know it's not required. You know it's not necessarily required reading, so so to speak, for this show. Sure. But it helps. Oh, it definitely you know, does. There, there's a lot of connections. There's a lot of stuff that, like, they're bridging the gaps between, you know, the, the movies and then the show that if you don't have an idea of what happened before with the movies, you're going to be a little lost going into this. So, like I said, if you're looking to show this to maybe your mom and dad, you know, your brother, sister, aunt, uncle, cousin, whatever, show them the movies or have them rewatch the movies before they go into this. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a very safe bet. But even either way, though, final thoughts, Pat, and let's wrap it up. Absolutely loved it. Super excited. I hate the fact. I love that it came out at nine o'clock. That was beautiful for me in my in my life schedule. 
hate that I'm going to have to wait till Friday to do it now. But regardless, it's going to be awesome. Super excited to see where they go with this. And, and the more and more connections I can pick up on, I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, for coming out the gate, I thought they they had some very solid moments here. And I think it's enough that if you're a novice, you're going to find stuff to like here. If you're a diehard like Pad or Tyler from 30 and Nerdy, you're going to love this show. It's going to be your show. Either way, it's a it's a very watchable, entertaining hour, hour plus, and you just dive right into the fandoms. It's just going to take you a couple rewatches to really understand it if you're coming into a cold, but it'll be well worth it. And like I say, I, I like what they're setting up. I just think pacing-wise, that's the only thing I got to complain about a little bit. Mm-hmm. Too much sensory overload, episode one. Episode two, they cleaned up, but it's you're wanting me to care about a character, but then you eliminate him off the board in five minutes. Like that, I'm kind of like, mm. and then you're introducing somebody else. It's like, let's pump the brakes, get enough time so people can get a feel for somebody, and then start bringing in some other people. You got five seasons. You got a lot of time to work with. Yeah, it's, not you like, do. it's not like you got to worry about getting canceled. Yeah. But that is just our takes on the Rings of Power, Lord of the Rings prequel. So definitely hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about the new Prime Video show? Are you in love with it? Did you watch it? And if so, let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, the first of which is a brief uh, D23 uh, preview uh, because that is taking place this uh, this weekend. It is the semi-annual. I don't think it's an every year thing. I think it's every couple of years. Uh, but it is taking place this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Going to give you a couple things to watch out for uh, because it's not as packed as, say, a San Diego Comic-Con, a New York Comic-Con, and obviously it's all Disney-focused. Uh, but still a couple things to keep your eye out for uh, taking place on Friday, September 9th from 1 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, that is the Disney and Marvel Games Showcase. Oh, uh, so that's Disney video games, the Marvel video games. First time, I, if I remember correctly, they're ever doing one of these panels at Disney or D23. So you got to figure, you know, any upcoming, the upcoming Spider-Man game might get mentioned there. I would imagine, you know, the Wolverine one probably going to get mentioned there. Uh, what was it? The Hellraisers, or whatever the other one is. I'm blanking. Oh, Midnight Suns. Thank you. The Midnight Suns probably going to get mentioned there. So that'll definitely be something to keep an eye out on social media for. Super excited for that. Uh, looking at Saturday, September 10th, couple ones here. The bulk of which is, good Lord, you're get ready on your social media because 10 a.m. to noon uh, Pacific, Marvel Studios, Lucasfilm, and 20th Century Studios panel. Yeah. All, all rolled into one. This is going to be the meat and potatoes. This is where you're going to get Marvel announcements, Lucasfilm announcements, stuff from 20th Century Studios. Hopefully a Prey 2 st- announcement because Prey is amazing. Uh, but that's going to be the meat and potatoes because there's going to be a lot coming out of that, I would imagine. Well, that one, obviously, we can speculate a little bit on. Sure. That coming off the heels of Hall H, San Diego Comic-Con return. Mm-hmm. As far as we know right now, nothing's been announced for New York Comic-Con. Facts. So that could be subject to change by the time we you hear this episode. Yep. This is going to be the moment that everything that we were expecting to see and hear at Hall H, we're going to hear now. Mm-hmm. I think the safe money bet is Fantastic Four casting. Maybe. They've announced the director, so I imagine the casting will get announced in some way. 
I think the only other thing that will be coming out of this that is going to be very news and noteworthy is you're going to hear an update about the X-Men franchise. Probably. I mean, unless you're catching something else, Pat, do you think? I haven't heard anything in terms of specifics. I mean, the only rumor I heard, and this was probably six months to a year ago, was that there was a rumor that Jonathan Hickman was working on the script for it. But that, I only heard that from one place, and I didn't hear anything about it ever again. You know, so take that with a small grain of salt you can. It wouldn't surprise me if they said, you know, we've got to, if they mentioned something like, hey, we've got a draft, first draft of the script done. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're anywhere near ready for casting or a director because they haven't even announced anything yet. No, they haven't announced anything unless they're going to say like the working title. I know the mutants have been thrown around. I've, I've heard X-Men have been thrown around. There's so much speculation, and I want to stress this too, because there's a lot of places that are running with a lot of different ideas, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And what I'm going to tell you, the listener, and tell you, the fans, and I'm going to tell you, the friends, temper the expectations. Yeah. I know that we're all excited to see and hear what Marvel has coming, but I would not get so wound up about, like, rumors. Especially that that casting rumor list that's going around with the likes of Denzel Washington. Yeah. There's way too many many A-list actors on that list. I don't buy it for one second. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I know that everybody's so excited to hear it, and I I just fear that people are getting worked about it, which, listen, I just can't stress enough. Mm -hmm. Be a fan, have that speculation, but... Don't go crazy running with rumors. I'll say that I think we might get some announcements for like some of the phase. Christ, what is it? Six. Mm-hmm. That's you know, the next one, you know, we might get some stuff from that, but I think the only thing you might get from this from Marvel is like some of the stuff that's in production, you know? So like Loki or, or some of the other television series or even the movies, you know, you, you might get some behind the scenes photos. You might get like a sizzle reel or something They're like, Hey, we don't have a trailer ready yet, but like, here's a, here's a reel of some stuff from we put together from what we have filmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to just tell everybody right now, we'll wait and see what comes out. But be excited to hear it. And then yeah. obviously, after you get official announcements, then we can have some real speculation talk. Because I, I think right now, like everybody's just so amped up with Marvel has come in. And rightfully, they created this buzz. Not mad at them about this. Not mm-hmm. mad one bit. But what I'm just saying is, before we all start you know, getting crazy about like who Henry Cavill is going to play, who's Denzel going to play, who uh, Giancarlo, es- uh, Giancarlo Esposito yeah, is going to play. There's like there's so many names. That's why I say I'm forgetting them, and you're just hearing so many people. I heard it's it's like a who's who of actors and actresses in Hollywood that I just looked at it and I go I don't believe half of this. Some of them I can I can see. Yeah, some of them I can definitely see, but I just want to go in this going okay. We're now at D23. Let's hear the official announcements, then we can get a real temp in the room. Yeah. The only thing I, I I'm going to say is I think we do get that Fantastic Four casting finally. Maybe. I'll say in terms of Lucasfilm, I would imagine maybe some TV shows. Christ, I hope some movie announcements, maybe an update on Patty Jenkins movie, uh, you know, and then in terms of 20th Century Studios, I would imagine there's going to be a heavy Avatar focus, seeing as that's the kind of their big one coming at the yeah. end, coming at the end of the I year. Agree. You know, hopefully, fingers crossed, they announced that they're going to work on Prey, too, because if you have not seen Prey on Hulu, it's amazing. It's it's one of the better Predator movies they've done in recent history. I know that's a low bar, but hey, it's it's a great movie. So we'll see what comes out of that. Uh, also going on on uh, Saturday at uh, 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific time, Magic in the Air, 30 years of the Muppet Christmas Carol. Can you believe it's been That's 30 years? That's wild, man. I would argue that, it, and it's in the conversation, it is one of the best, if not the best, adaptation of the classic uh, Charles Dickens novel. It's in the conversation. It's one I, I watch at least once a year. I don't put it at one, but 
I can understand some people saying it's one. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think it's extremely good. It's very underrated. Oh, yeah. But I think like you got My, think, Michael Caine is uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah, I mean, holy shit. Yeah, they could do they do some very cool things there. I, I will admit with that. I like I say, I I have it barely in my top five. But, sure. But I but if you have it higher, I could understand it. Sure. I got I got I like that one's in my conversation. And then they did an all dogs go to heaven one that I got a soft spot for. Yeah. Lo- Love that one as a kid. Well, it's the Muppets, man. What yeah. are you gonna do? Yeah. Uh, and then taking place on Sunday. I know you can't believe it's been thirty years since the Muppets. Can you believe it's been forty years since Tron? Uh, taking place at noon to 1 p.m. Back to the grid, 40 years of Tron presented by Empire. Holy cow. You know, the sad thing is I can believe it because I remember when I was a very young Ken M mm-hmm. and seeing this on Disney, the Disney Channel, mm-hmm. and freaking out because it was so crazy. They'll say then it was groundbreaking. Yeah. like yeah. And that, that, Nowadays, it doesn't hold up that yeah, well. Yeah, nowadays, it's like, what the heck was yeah. I doing? You yeah. Know? But hey, uh, that's some, definitely some stuff to check out with D23 this weekend, and we'll have, we'll retweet some stuff when we see it. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, switching over to some movie news, and Christ, please let this happen. Please let this happen. Please let this happen. Uh, reading from an article on IGN.com, it reads, quote, John Williams, the legendary composer responsible for the scores of Star Wars. What? Harry Potter. Who? Jurassic Park. Huh? Jaws. Huh? Schindler's List. What? Uh, Christ, I could go on. The Last Geisha. Like, uh-huh. I could go on. Uh, and more has said that he would love to score a James Bond movie. All uh, kidding aside, that's amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, the article goes on to say, as reported by The Guardian, Williams was speaking to Classic FM about his work on Indiana Jones 5. And when asked if he would work on a James Bond film, he'd say, he said, I'd love it. While John Williams and James Bond seemed like a match made in heaven, it's important to remember that Williams said earlier this year that Indiana Jones 5 very well may be the last film he plans to work on. Obviously, things can change, but he does seem to be looking towards the next chapter in his life. Williams also gave some details on the progress of Indiana Jones 5's soundtrack, saying that he is about 30% done with the project. I pretty much have the thematic uh, scheme done, but we probably will be working on this into September, Williams said. He also discussed what it is like composing music for feature films, and in re- uh, he revealed it can be a very difficult thing to do. Writing for music is very difficult. It's probably not a profession for all composers because it can be very constricting and possibly very frustrating. Uh, he continued on to talk about what happens uh, when he finishes a project, and he said he doesn't listen to his work and is always looking towards the horizon. Close quote. Uh, so... Please, for the love of God, I realize he's in his 90s. Like, he's not getting any younger. You know, he's already said he's he's done uh, working on Star Wars uh, soundtracks, although it, he has done an occasional theme. You know, I know he did the theme for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. You know, so he's not, you know, opposed to doing that. But he he's getting up there in age. I would love to see him compose a James Bond soundtrack. It would be amazing. It'd be phenomenal. No, I mean all kidding aside, that would be dope. If yeah, he just that. turned he just turned ninety in February. Yeah, so yeah, I mean that would be amazing if it happened. So fingers crossed. Not getting any younger. Yeah. Uh, switching over to some video game news, uh, the folks over at Ubisoft had unveiled a trailer about a minute and forty one seconds uh, for the fifteenth anniversary of Assassin's Creed. As we talked about in an earlier episode this year, uh, this year marks the fifteenth anniversary of the very first Assassin's Creed game, which launched in two thousand one, uh, bringing you the assassins taking on the Templars, you know, or Abstergo in modern times, you know, bringing you to the uh, one of the uh, 
Crusades in the 1100s, 1200s, I forget the exact year, uh, bring you as Altair, you know, you've gone on to play Ezio and, and a whole bunch of others, you know, all the, all the way up to, uh, up to, to, um, Eivor in Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which I'm 200 hours into playing. Jeez. Yeah, not kidding. Not even close to done. I believe it. I, I fully believe 200 it. 200 hours. Uh, but they unveiled a trailer. Uh, kind of like a uh, look back homage. You know, it was leap into history. You know, with it was kind of cinematic looks at all of the heroes and heroesses uh, from the franchise that has graced video game screens over the years uh, with an announcement that they will be having a uh, showcase on September 10th uh, at 12 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Uh, CEST. Uh, I would imagine it's probably going to be on their YouTube page, probably on their Twitch page, uh, because amongst one of those things that was rumored and, and leaked, they officially announced, is an upcoming, the next game uh, titled Assassin's Creed Mirage. Okay. Uh, so they posted about it on their Twitter page. This was back on the 1st of September. Uh, quote, Assassin's Creed Mirage is the next Assassin's Creed game. We can't wait to tell you more on September 10th at Ubisoft Forward. 9 p.m. CEST, 12 p.m. Pacific time. And they included a uh, photo with said tweet. Uh, kind of going back, it looks like, to the origins with the original game. Okay. You know, where the first game kind of took place in Jerusalem and, and kind of, you know, the Middle East and all mm-hmm. that. So it, it's got that Middle East feel to it. Uh, rumors are it's going back to the roots with the original game and, and more stealth and that and getting away from kind of the RPG, make turn you into a godlike aspect of the last couple of games. Okay. Uh, I'm excited for it you know i'm not quite sure what it's going to entail or who it's going to entail but i'm excited for this also one of the rumors there i predicted it because i thought it was odd you're doing a 15 year retrospective with the games and you're starting with the most recent and you're going to the original one why would you not do it from start to start to current rumor is because they're taking this game and it's set in the middle it's rumor is it's going to be set in either iraq or iran somewhere in there uh in the, I want to say it's like 900s or 1,000 time range. Uh, rumor has it they're going to be taking the uh, the portions of this game and some of the stuff within it and using it to remake the original one. Oh, okay. Which is one, something I spe- well, that makes sense then. Which is something I speculated when they first announced this summer of Assassin's Creed Assassin's Creed 15. You know, the 15th anniversary. Because it's the one game that I mentioned out of the entire franchise, especially those early games. You know. Assassin's Creed 2, Brotherhood, and, and Revelations, the Ezio trilogy, they re-released as a bundle set on PC and for consoles. You know, they re-released Assassin's Creed 3, you know, which originally came out on PS3. They released in the Xbox 360, re-released that for modern systems. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty much all the ones up until, you know, the PS4, the Xbox One, the prior ones, they re-released in remastered forms. Assassin's Creed 1 is the only one to never get that treatment for whatever reason. I've never Interesting. Heard, I've never heard tell why. I've never heard an explanation why. Current rumor is that during this, you know, live stream on September the 10th, they're going to announce a remake of the original one which please let it happen. I would love to play that again, although with different missions because it got very repetitive very quickly. Yeah, I know that's very interesting to see. It. Yeah, I would I would not be upset about that if that happens. Yeah. So for my one shots obviously we've been keeping track of tales of the walking dead and like listen i'm just not going to sugarcoat it i am not really getting into this show i gotta admit i did not watch this week because i had a choice between watching house of the dragon and uh walking dead because as i mentioned last you know, a couple weeks ago you know if i don't watch it at nine o'clock i'm not able to watch it period because it's still not up on itunes 
And I figured, you know what? I really didn't like last week's episode with Alpha, and that was a character I know. I doubt I'm going to like this one any better since it's not anybody I know, and I'm probably never going to see him again. So I didn't watch. Yeah, it... I understand what they're trying to do here. Like, listen, I, I'm, I will say I'm always the first one to say I want to see something different. I feel, though, we're we're almost seeing the same episode over mm-hmm. and over, just like a little tweak here and there. It's almost like the vanilla ice, the ting, 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 ting. <laughs> it's not the same. Kind of like that's the vibe here. Because like this past week's episode entitled Amy slash Dr. Everett, you have a scientist that is studying the zombies and trying to figure out how it fits in with, uh, you know, biology and, sure, and modern, science modern science and science and evolution and humanity and, you know, the evolution of humanity and such. And he comes across somebody else that's like with a group of survivors are getting attacked. And basically it's like a back and forth of what he's really up to and what he's not. And you have Amy who's unknowing to what he's really up to and like how it ends is just kind of like, meh. Mm, like, I'm, okay. I'm sorry. Like I understand what they were trying to go with and you're trying to have like this emotional impact, so sure, to speak. Sure, and like, sure. okay, well maybe it's the key to solving the zombie apocalypse. And it's like, it just fell flat. Like it was like, it's an interesting concept and it's certainly an interesting, you know, storyline you could explore, but I feel like you need more than just, you know, 40, 45 minutes to do it. Yeah. So you know, you, like you can't, possibly encapsulate you know an entire like scientific process of like studying the zombies and the biology and then the everything else that entails with that and like wrap it up in a bow in 40 minutes and plus it has a weird cold ending too mm. like all like i didn't realize it was the end till like all of a sudden you see the credits fly up i'm like that's kind of lame it, yeah like it just it didn't click and like and and i know i've been extremely critical of this whole franchise but I think if you're going to try taking chances like this, I think you're getting the same kind of vibe in each episode so far. Like, they're they're all one-shots, which is fine. Yeah. But it's also like, okay, well, you have two people. Yeah. One's up to something. The other one, we don't know. And then when they right. clash together, you kind of roll the dice. And say, of the ones I've seen, there's only been the one story that felt like a one shot that like it's beginning middle end it's not left open ended and that was the first one yeah Evie and Joe Evie and Joe were like you got the start middle end and if they, and it was one that like they left it open we're like not even like a story purpose but like oh what's gonna happen next well we're never gonna find out it's one that like hey we introduce these characters if we want to backdoor introduce them to one of the upcoming series the opportunity is there the thing with Alpha you know we were coming in mid- like we said when we were reviewing the episode we came in midway through the story partway into the story we left before the story was over we don't have any fucking clue what's going on and it sounds like it's the same with this where it's like we're only getting part of the story yeah that's the whole thing like you get a you get a rough idea what he's up to and there's nothing redeeming about him and you're i guess you're trying to root for amy in this equation and yet just like the back and forth between them is just it 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 just did not feel meshed like it just felt like so uneven and then like when you get the ultimate ending it's like Really? Like, like the vibe I'm getting with this is like if DC decided to do a Batman one shot where it was like called Batman Christmas or something like that. Yeah, kind of. And, and it was a story of like Batman, you know, tr- saving Gotham and going through the antics of like he just wants to get home and wants to get ready for Christmas. But, you know, you know what shucks the the villains of Gotham just won't let it be and just, you know, he keeps going out and going out and going out. You would, and it, you know, it's a one shot. So you would presume that the episode ends or the issue ends with like midnight on Christmas Day or, or you know, midnight on Christmas Day or like 7 a.m. on Christmas morning, something like that. Like, oh, hey, presents are there. You're seeing that. But what this is feeling like is if they decided to do that, but it stopped at like 
10 o'clock on Christmas Eve. Yeah, kind of. You know, that like, it's like, oh, you expect it's called Batman Christmas. It should end in like midnight on Christmas Day or, or early morning of Christmas. And yet it stops before middle of Christmas Eve. Yeah, like it just, it felt, it just felt like odd. Like that's sure. the whole thing. Like I understand what they're going with, but it was like how we got to the ending. And it was like, oh, like am I supposed to have this real emotional impact? Like, I'm sorry, you guys were not really on the same page the entire episode. So what happens at the end, I'm like, I'm not super surprised. I figured it was just like, this is a roundabout way to get here to show how much like the doctor is not a good person. So we'll leave it at that. If you want to watch it at your own discretion, hit me up after you do on ODPH podcast on Twitter. I'll definitely talk about it. Comic book wise though. Let's talk about some happier stuff, man. Big week at the comic shops. Uh, Let's kick it off first with probably the coolest. One of the coolest covers. We had some great stuff for parlay points this week. Yeah. Dudley Datsun. And the Forever Machine. Oh, my God. How adorable is that? It's a fucking corgi. You can't go wrong. Yes. So Scott Snyder, Jamal Eagles, uh All Ages Adventure returns to Comixology Originals. Great second uh, second issue. I should say second episode because it does feel like it's like a movie almost. A lot of stuff is going on. You get a very, very interesting twist to uh, what we saw at the end of issue one. Uh, so Delius, the corgi. You find out a lot more. Oh, okay. A lot more. And just how this adventure is just spiraling into different directions. And I love it. I thought it was a fantastic read. I recommend it to everybody. If you're looking just for like a, a like I want to say like an old school read, but it feels very fresh and very new, mm-hmm. this is your book. And I, I can't stress enough. I think every book that's on the Best Jacket Press line stands on its own and I think they'll have a different vibe and this one definitely stands there too. So recommend that on Comixology Originals. Also this week we have Demons. It's supposed to be out on trade paperback. So Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo's initial run is uh, supposed to be coming out this week. So definitely keep an eye out for that at the comic shops. Go pick it up. It's out via Dark Horse Press. So last time I looked on the website it said September 7th. So I'm running with that. Tomorrow I get to go to the comic shop and go pick that up. In the meantime though, Pat, I have another cover to show you. Okay. Take a look at this. Ooh. Fantastic Four Full Circle. Interesting. By Alex Ross. Uh, oh, nice. Now, here's the trick, because you know who Alex Ross is. I'm very familiar. He is not painting. Really? This is him and his actual artwork. Oh, wow. I'm showing Pad live action. He has not seen this. Yo, that's awesome. Yeah. How amazing is this artwork in this book? I'll say, even if you don't know the name, Google Alex Ross DC Marvel you will know it just by seeing it. It's it's some of the most recognizable stuff in, in comics. Yeah. How incredible is his artwork? That's awesome. Yeah, and like I say, he's not painting. Like We all know his painted work from such things as Marvel's and Kingdom Come, respectively, and, and a million other things. Like he's, he's one of the most talented people in all of art. And this uh, idea was something very brand new. It is part of a partnership between Abrams Comics, uh, Abrams Books, Abrams Comics Arts, okay, and Marvel Comics. Nice. And this is the first time, and I want to say forty years, give take. Wow, that they have done a graphic novel at Marvel, and this used to be a staple in the eighties. Like, sure, it used to be like Emperor Doom, and uh, the, probably the one that I, I think a lot of people recognize when you say graphic novel in Marvel, uh, God Loves Man Kills, mm. which was the basis for X Two X United. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. They, they have not gone this in many, many years. So this is, like I say, a partnership between Abrams Comics Arts and Marvel Comics. Marvel Arts is the brand. So they they have now gone and tapped into a obscure Fantastic Four story from uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby. 
uh, issue number 51, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. I have to go back and check that as we talk. But yes, uh, Fantastic Four 51. And like I say, they go based off a story, and this is just a fantastic issue, top to bottom. No pun intended when I say this. Mm -hmm. But if you want something that really captures why the Fantastic Four was so cool and is cool when it's done right, like this is a prime example. Right. Because they go in a lot of crazy directions, and it it harkens back to the family story that is always centered around them, too. Oh, family. I know, but it works so well. Like, I can't recommend this book enough. I definitely want to say... Go pick this up. I know it's a little pricey per se, but it's well worth the investment. It's Alex Ross. Yeah, and plus, like I say, it's it's a huge book, too. It's Alex Ross, so it's instantly a collector's item. Yeah, so you can't go wrong with that. Also, from Boom Studios, it's kind of a bittersweet moment because there's two penultimate issues coming out this week. Okay. One is Once in Future. So Karen Gillan, Dan Mora, and I'm showing Pad the artwork here, too, because I think Dan Moore might be the best artist in all of comics. Ooh, that's nice. This is nice, but just wait till we get a little further here. Mm. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. And this is kind of one huh. of the big reveals from last issue because huh. we were left with a major cliffhanger. I will say this. For a penultimate issue, they set up the stage for a, a hell of a finale. Can't recommend this book enough. In fact, this is my top recommendation for the week. And then closing out... For parlay points, Vaslick's number 11. So Cullen Bunn, Jonas Scharf, uh, listen, this is going to get to be an absolutely insane finale. They're setting up all the major players for the final stand of the Chimera, and shit is going to hit the fan, literally. This is not going to be one for the squeamish when this all goes down. All the major players are set up and ready to rock and roll. I can't stress this enough. Like If you have not been reading Vaslick's, this is a dope book. Absolutely cool Like what they're doing here. It's not for the squeamish, though. I'm going to tell you right now. It's very intense, very in your face. So you definitely want to go check that out. And last but not least, I didn't get a chance to do a Parlay Points blog about this. Didn't get a press copy. But I did go out and buy the issue because I'm in love with the series. The Dead Lucky number 2. So Melissa Flores, French, Carlo Magno. Uh, definitely no stutter step, no sophomore slump here. The book is awesome. And they really dive into BB story and dealing with the Salvation Gang and Morrow and, and the whole new San Francisco era going on there's a lot of moving parts happening here it's a fantastic issue i don't want to spoil anything about it if you were into issue one and obviously we had melissa on here to talk about the book it stands on its own it has got its own cool vibe in the radiant black universe you need to go check that out i give it a very very high recommendation as well and i'm also going to make one quick 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 plug since we're talking comics pad the multiverse of badness this week hey so shout out to mike and zach i was a guest host this week or a guest on there and we actually talked about the Scroll Kill Crew. Are you familiar with them? Uh, a little bit. You know how they got their powers? They ate scroll meat. Oh, Jesus. This Christ. is from a night. Like I read the series back when I was in the nineties, and I always thought it was just such a weird concept. Grant Morrison wrote it. Oh, okay. That that says a lot. Exactly. I did not realize they revisited this in the two thousands, and yet we decided to talk about the first issue. Had a great discussion about it. So if you want to hear that, first, you should be following them. They're a fantastic people. I recommend their podcast all the time because they take the deep dives on obscure comics and really deep dive on them. I Like I say, I love this podcast. It's one of the best ones out there. Uh, Mike is actually coming on the show in October. So to remind oh, them, he's, okay. he's coming on to talk a little UFC. We've got a couple guest stars coming on this week or this uh, upcoming week. So you definitely want to stay tuned for that. But like I say, if we're talking comics, definitely want to plug them because they do some fantastic work. So you definitely want to go check out that podcast. And as always, support your LCS wherever you're at and support your favorite independent comic podcast as well. 
So that said, we'll just keep it very short and sweet this week, Pad. If I'm talking music, like Shout Out the Robots you heard at the beginning of this episode. If I'm talking Parlay Points, which has blogs for pro wrestling, comics, Dre Driven, Coach Duffy's Rocky Comeback to the Land of Lacrosse. <laughs> The classified section, which has friends of the show, organizational links, support, and Black Lives Matter, voter registration, uh, 3FN podcast information, because there's a lot of stuff there, especially 607TWS. The directory, which how many providers are we on? Oh, 970,000. Sounds about right, and I believe every word of that. The T Public Store link, so you can get some ODPH swag. The Patreon, which is growing by numbers, and seriously, we can't thank you enough for donating and supporting the brand as you do. It means the absolute world that... You guys are supporting us, so definitely shout-outs to all our patrons. We have a whole page up there with links to follow them because they're just the most fantastic people in the world, and I can't stress it enough. Anything and everything that is the ODPH can be found at odphpodcast.com. That's all for this week. So for the only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time.